for all of us here, if we have real determination, then we'll have to see the real Dhamma. Ajahn Chah gave up a huge amount to practice the Dhamma. He came here and established Wat Nambapong all by himself, and he went all out in the practice. He was willing to give up his life for the practice. He said that Dharma exists on the shores of death. If something won't die, then make it good. If it isn't good, then let it die. He put his life at stake for the practice. So for us, we all come here, and we've, many of us have determined to come here ever since last year. We've given up a lot of the happiness that we experience at home, a lot of the fun that we have there. And maybe some of us have had some problems with our family in order to get here. Maybe we've had to even argue with our husbands um, to be able to come here. Maybe they didn't agree with us coming. But still we have the determination to come. We have the determination to know and to taste the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha. So happiness and joy, fullness of heart, these all come from the sacrifices, the great sacrifices that the Buddha gave. A good word of the Blessed One's reputation is spread as follows. He, the Blessed One, is indeed the pure one. He is far from the defilements. He is rightly self-awakened. And Ajahn Chah himself was a disciple of the Buddha. He allowed us to know and uh, get familiar with the Dharma, whether we come from the far reaches of Thailand or whether we even come from overseas. A good word of his reputation has spread far and wide. The reputation of his morality, the reputation of his Dharma has spread around. So in this world, whether it's flowers or other fragrant things, that fragrance only travels with the breeze. But the fragrance of Ajahn Chah, the fragrance of his virtues, they could travel against the breeze. The fragrance of his morality, of his Dhamma, it's dispersed out, and it's what's made us interested in studying the Dhamma. The first generation of disciples that came to study the Dhamma here under Ajahn Chah, they had to go through a lot of difficulties, and they had to have a huge amount of endurance. In the later generations, they just couldn't compete with the old days. Back then, the monks had to eat the banana peels as well. But when I came here, it was, it was a little bit easier. Every banana had to be split up into quarters to be given out. There wasn't ever a monk that got a whole banana. And so that we're able to come here and practice, it comes from the practice of Ajahn Chah. And we say that he's like both our mother and our father in the Dhamma. He practiced and he trained and gave up a huge amount. And Ajahn Chah said very frequently that the Dhamma that he obtained, he had to pass through many obstacles. He had to pass through the jaws of tigers. He had to go through cremation grounds and deep secluded forests, endure with dangers, meet with fears, the fear of ghosts, the fear of spirits in order to be able to teach all of you. <clears throat> As I listened to him say this, inspiration arose within me, and I realized that the Dharma that he got, it really wasn't easy to come by, but he had to get it through great effort, through his uncompromising approach in the practice. And so he established this monastery, Wat Nambapong, which is a very quiet and secluded place. And when I was here, there were 60, 70 monks who were living here, putting forth effort, practicing together. 
But Ajahn Chah also said that Wanombapong will continue to develop constantly. That was 40 years ago when he said that. And it's clear that what he said is true. It's very clear that the developments and the growth of the Dharma is manifesting in the hearts of the monks, the novices, the lay people who have come here, who will have faith, inspiration, belief in Ajahn Chah, which fills up their hearts. That faith, that belief, it leads to a firmness in the practice, which allows us to develop our minds and search for the Dhamma. Because the most valuable and important thing that we have is our heart. The heart that has Dhamma, the heart that has joy, that's come here to practice. And so we take that practice and we use it as our homage. And that's what we've all come here for, to, to pay homage with our practice and also to develop goodness, merit, to give offerings, to determine the precepts, to do walking meditation, sitting meditation, and to maintain mindfulness in our minds. And so to have this faculty of mindfulness, of recollection, and sampajanya, and all-round knowing, it's very important. So we can see that even though here there are many, many people who have gathered together, it's still very quiet and peaceful. And this is very, very good. And something that's worthy of praise, that everyone has such determination in their hearts to practice, that's so intent and focused on building goodness and developing mindfulness. There isn't much that needs to be said in the ways of instructions or reminders to people. Everyone's intent themselves intent in restraining their body and their speech, intent on restraining their minds, on studying the Dharma that the senior monks who have many years of experience are teaching. And this is a very impressive sight. So having this determination within ourselves, then we take up the practice tonight of not lying down, of going through the whole night listening to the Dhamma, and going without sleep. And the monks, in their turn, will give talks the whole night as well. When I lived here, on these special occasions when uh, everyone would stay up all night, then the hall was full of lay people, and the platform here was full of monks. The monks would sit facing the lay people, and they wouldn't give in. Even though it was natural for the newly ordained monks to feel sleepy late at night, but we'd sit there and we'd uh, look at the, the lay people in front of us. And most of them were quite old. Most of them were 50, 60 years old. And they weren't retreating, so we wouldn't retreat. They'd sit there very still. And in those days, they really were still. They would sit motionless. And looking at them would give the younger monks the feeling that we'd just have to stay. We'd feel shy of the lay people. And why is that? Why would we feel shy? Because in the morning we'd go on arms round and those same lay people that are sitting there meditating the whole night, they would be offering us food. And so we'd ask ourselves, well, if they can do that, then why are we so sleepy? And so it gave me the feeling on those nights that I just, I have to do this, I have to go without sleep. But also we get to listen to the Dharma throughout the whole night and this is something that can give us encouragement. So we've all come here gathered together to build goodness, to build merit. And we develop our minds individually. 
We're all individually dedicated to the practice. But this individual effort of ours, it increases each other's energy as well. We help each other out. And the monks too, they're all devoted to their practice as well, to walking the path, to finding truth. So don't ever forget that the first step is very, very important. It's just like a child. They take their first step, and then the second step they take is even more stable. It's quicker than the first. And they keep going like this until in the end they're able to run. They're able to run far, able to run right to the end of the path, to their goal. So this practice begins with generosity and morality and being devoted to discovering the Dharma, to knowing the Dharma and putting the Dharma into practice until we understand clearly in the Dharma. So we try to practice and we develop mindfulness in lines with the teachings of the, the great teachers. We have mindfulness of the meditation word Buddha, whether standing, walking, sitting, lying down. We keep Buddha there all the time until our minds reach peace until our minds and our bodies feel light. And this is a state that's suitable for contemplation. So we need to understand these two concepts of samatha, or calmness, and vipassana, insight. So samatha is the mind that's at peace. We can contemplate death, or we can recite buddha, but all of these are skillful means to bring the mind to peace. To bring the mind to a sense of firmness and concentration. And with this, then the greed, hatred and delusion within our minds will disappear temporarily. And we could use the simile of a rock that's sitting on top of some grass. So the samadhi concentration is very important. And it's what allows for wisdom to be born. It's what allows us to know things that we actually already know. The things that we've thought about before, the things we've heard before, but it's just we haven't understood them on a very deep level. They haven't really made a very deep impression into our hearts. But the wisdom that arises from the practice, that's what will allow us to know clearly into the sankharas and to condition phenomena things that we've all heard about before. So the great teachers, they teach us about conventional reality, and this allows us to experience liberation. So all the languages that humans come up with, for example, these are just conventions that we come up with in order to be able to understand each other. But if we really know things, um, then our minds will be happy from seeing the truth, the truth of all things seeing that really there aren't any names, that all languages are just convention. Whether it's Thai, English, Norwegian, Swedish, these are all conventions that we come up with to be able to understand each other. But the reality is that they're just convention. We also need to come to contemplate and study our bodies, to understand the truth of them, to see how they're just conventions. So what are these things? Are they foreigners? Are they Thais? Are they monks? Are they lay people? What would you have them be? They're just conventions following nature. If our minds are at peace, then this is how we'll see things. But if they don't have peace, then they won't have wisdom. And then we'll go and see them as me and mine, as being a self and an other. 
And this is what we call Sakaya Ditti, self-view. Taking things and imposing the meaning of me and mine upon them. This in turn gives rise to upadana, to clinging, which gives rise to suffering in our hearts. But the thing is, none of us actually want to suffer. We all want to be happy. So why do we suffer? Well, that suffering, it has a mother and a father. It has causes and conditions that give rise to it. And when we have mindfulness, then we'll be able to see and know all of the sense objects that come into our minds. When our minds have clinging, then we'll see how that gives rise to suffering. We'll have that puru, that state of, of awareness of knowing they're taking care of our minds, seeing sense objects as just sense objects. When our minds have wisdom, then we'll be able to let go. And this is what we call vipassana, insight. So the objects of vipassana are anicca, dukkha, anatta, of inconstancy, stressfulness, not self. And these, these objects, contemplating these objects, are what allows our minds to know clearly in line with the truth. But we can't just go and toss out samadhi. We can't go and toss out samatha. Our minds need to be firm. Samadhi needs to be firm, and this is one part of the, the noble path. In some centers, they teach that samadhi isn't important. You just need pure wisdom, and that's all that's necessary. But that's not right. That won't work. Using wisdom without samadhi, it won't work. We need all three of these things together. Sila, samadhi, panya. They all need to gather together into the path in our hearts. So we've all gathered here together at Wat Nambapong. There are some first-generation monks of uh, Ajahn Chah still here, and there are those who ordained later, and there's also the lay people who have come. And we all have faith as our foundation. As this faith develops, then it'll allow uh, our minds to become firm, and that in turn will allow our faith to become very strong, to become unshakable, and this happens from understanding the teachings of the great teachers. Because listening to the teachers of Ajahn Chah, um, what he taught was the shortcut. He taught the straight path to understanding the Dhamma. So we have mindfulness, knowing the state of our minds, knowing what our minds are doing. What do they feel like? Is there love there? Is there hate there? Look into our hearts, see these feelings of love, hate, anger. See, they're not ours, they're just conditions which arise, last a short time, then pass away. For wisdom to arise, then we need these, these objects of vipassana there as well. And we also need for there to be peacefulness, calmness in our hearts. So therefore, having listened to the Dhamma, we try it out as well. We try and maintain mindfulness while we're listening too, and also try and make our minds peaceful while we're listening. We can watch our breath, watch our breath come in, go out, and this can bring up peacefulness, calmness in ourselves. And from this calm mind, then we can study the Dhamma, we can understand the Dhamma, we can see the Dhamma. We see the Dhamma in line with the truth. Today there was a foreigner who 
spoke Thai very clearly and he came and he asked me, he said, Tanajan, often when you talk about the Dhamma, you say seeing the Dhamma, but is it possible to smell the Dhamma? Is it possible to touch the Dhamma? And this is a very good question. That's something I've never heard of before. Has anyone here smelt the Dhamma? Put your hands up if you've smelt the Dhamma before. The fragrance of the Dhamma is sila, is morality. So all of us coming here together, we're restraining our bodies, we're restraining our speech. And this gives rise to a mood of peacefulness. And the monks as well are very restrained and calm. They're restrained in their morality. And this is the fragrance of the Dhamma, of morality, spreading out, and it spreads out, it pervades the whole monastery. And it's not only humans that can, that can sense this fragrance, but I reckon that devas are able to smell it as well. That they can smell the fragrance of our goodness that we've all developed by coming here to, to meditate, to practice. So receiving the fragrance of the Dharma, smelling the Dharma, it gives rise to feelings of faith and um, firmness in ourselves and in the teachings of the Buddha. We've all come here um, with this, this devotion to the teachings of the Buddha and we're um, intent on seriously practicing for these five and six days that we're here. And every year this happens, that people come and practice like this. With coming and practicing in this way, we're developing our faculties to become stronger so that when we go home, we'll be able to keep up our practice, to be able to have even stronger mindfulness than before and for our hearts to be very firm. We can be intent that this life will be devoted to the practice and also intent that we keep metta and karuna these qualities of loving-kindness, of compassion, in our hearts all the time. So in our family life, we have to see that we're all relatives. We're all from the same family. So we have to forgive each other for the mistakes that we make. And this is what we call abhayadana, the dana, the generosity of forgiveness, of giving our forgiveness. And this is a great form of generosity. All of us here are already very good at giving things. So we can see that all the food that's been given out at this monastery, it's a huge amount. And you can see the effect that that has on the people that give it out. They have very joyful, happy faces. But now we need to train ourselves in a form of generosity that's even higher than that. The generosity of giving our forgiveness. Because all of us have to meet with things in our life that provoke anger, that provoke ill will, and that prevent peacefulness from arising. So therefore we need to train our minds in developing loving-kindness and compassion and take that as our foundation. And also to be very strong in the five precepts or the eight precepts, to have restraints and carefulness around our body and speech. And then we come to practice, to train ourselves, to bring our minds to peace. When we can do this, then one day we'll have to experience the coolness, the calmness, the joy, the, the lightness of the body that comes from the practice. 
Maybe we'll be sitting here and it'll feel like our body fills up the entire hall. Or maybe it'll feel like our body goes right through the hall. And these are all things that are possible when joy arises. For some people, tears might stream down their face. Or for others, they might feel a great sense of fullness in their hearts from all the goodness that they've built up here. From seeing so many monks come together and feeling the power of the virtue that happens with that. These are all things that give rise to joy, to pity, and this fullness of heart. These are all things that come from training our minds in the practice. So as we develop peacefulness in stages, we'll then be able to practice vipassana. We'll be able to look into the body. And this is looking into sakaya ditti, self-view, vichikicca, uh, skeptical doubt, and silabhata baramasa, attachment to rites and rituals. Essentially, these things are attachment to me and mine. So what's that like? So we look, and we look at our bodies, so we see into our bodies. We see that really, there's no Thai there, there's no Westerner there. They're not females, they're not males. They're just heaps of things. The heaps of the elements, the four elements, the earth, water, fire, air. And as we contemplate these elements with wisdom, we'll be able to break them apart and see that really there's nothing there at all. It's all just empty. We'll be able to see everything as emptiness. And when this happens, then the inner Buddha, the inner nature of awakening will arise within our hearts. But if we have firm samadhi, firm concentration, then Ajahn Chah taught that it's not necessary to do a lot of contemplation. It's not necessary to explain things a lot to ourselves. All we have to do is just tell our minds that these things, they're not permanent, they're not mind, and our minds will believe. And just that's enough. There was once a time when a doctor asked for a private meeting with Ajahn Chah. And so Ajahn Chah got the monks to close the Ubosita Hall so we could meet with this doctor. And I went along as well so I could record the talk. During the talk that he gave, Ajahn Chah explained that if you can tell yourself that your body isn't permanent, it's not mine, and your mind believes it, then there's no need to go into details. You don't need to go and separate it out into the different elements. Just that's enough. Just telling yourself that's enough. As I was listening to what he said, it left a very deep impression in my mind. But I still couldn't practice what he was saying. I'd tell my mind these things, but my mind wouldn't believe them. So when that happens, then we have to go and explain to ourselves in many different ways to make ourselves accept. We have to do this first until we're able to just maybe touch ourselves in our arm and tell ourselves that what we're touching is just bones. There's no me there, there's no self there, and we'll believe it. Wisdom can arise just from that, and that is the practice of vipassana. So everyone here be very devoted into practicing. We devote this one life of ours to the practice. Because we're very fortunate in this life, we have a lot of goodness, a lot of uh, spiritual virtues that we've accumulated to be able to be disciples of Ajahn Chah. Whether we're direct disciples or later disciples, we're still disciples of his. 
And this is something that's very difficult to find in this world. Even though Ajahn Chah has passed away already, he planted the foundations for us to all come here together in harmony, for thousands of monks to gather together, for over 5,000 lay people to come. And do you think this is something that's easy? It's not easy at all. And more people come every year. Ajahn Chah once said to me that when the great teachers die, then it's usual that their disciples just disperse and they just, they just scatter about. But me, I've thought about what to do about this already. When I listened to him, I didn't quite understand what he was saying, but I also didn't understand what, I also didn't ask him what he meant. I had firm belief in my heart into what he was saying, but I wasn't brave enough to ask. I was afraid of what might come back at me. He might say to me, why do you want to know so much? Why are you so nosy? So the monks who were with Ajahn Chah, we really had to be restrained. The closer one was to Ajahn Chah, the more restrained one had to be. You had to stay with Buddha all the time. I couldn't let my mind slip. If my mindfulness slipped, then Ajahn Chah would give me a look and let me know, don't think like that. If I carried on thinking, then some dharma would come flying back at me. So with Ajahn Chah, my mind would be still. I wouldn't be thinking about anything. I'd be with Buddha. So the closer one was to Ajahn Chah, the more dharma one had and the more restrained one had, the more careful one was with one's mindfulness. This was a very good opportunity for me in my life to be able to be close to such a great teacher, to be able to attend on him. And he gave me that opportunity to attend on him. And the Dharma that he taught me in those, those times, it remains with me still to this day. And he taught me many, many things. I usually just saw things in the ways of convention and how certain things have certain benefits. But Ajahn Chah was able to tell me about the danger of things, the danger of attaching to things. And how are they dangerous? Whatever it is that we attach to, that thing will make us be born and die in this world countless times. So we have to be restrained. Ajahn Chah would teach this. He would say, be restrained. Don't let your mind go and attach to things like that. And this was a very deep dharma that Ajahn Chah taught me. So all of us were disciples of Ajahn Chah. So take his dharma, study it, practice it, put effort into it, train yourselves until your minds come to peace. Whether you use the meditation word buddho, dhammo, or sangho, whether you recollect death, these are all okay. Or you can recollect that you've come here to practice, and every day that you've come here, you've been offering food, you've been listening to the dhamma, you've been keeping morality, keeping precepts. Every day you can recollect all the forms of goodness that you've done. And this will allow the mind to grow in joy, and this joy of the mind, that is merit. When we think of this merit often, then that's kusala, that's intelligence. And this is a form of kamatana, of, of meditating. This is a, a type of meditation object which can allow our minds to experience joy and to experience peace. That will be able to put out the greed, hatred and delusion in our minds. 
So all of us having conviction in the triple gem, having this firm faith within us, what we have faith in is that when we walk this path, then we really have to experience freedom from suffering. When we understand the nature of these conditioned bodies and all material things in this world, we'll be able to see that everything is just anicca, dukkha, anatta. It's impermanence, it's stressful, it's not self. We'll be able to touch our own true nature, to see the Dharma, to be able to see the Buddha, the inner Buddha, the state of uh, awakening, be born right within our hearts. So the Buddha was born in India, but Ajahn Chah once asked me, he, he asked in the way of Dhamma, he said, can't the Buddha be born in Thailand? And as I heard this, I thought to myself, no, the Buddha was born in India for sure, and he was enlightened for India, in India for sure as well. But Ajahn Chah asked, is it possible for the Buddha to be born in Thailand? I was four reigns back then, and I didn't really understand what he was, uh, what he was saying. But as I practiced more, then I gradually gained a deeper understanding of what he was saying. That the Buddha is this inner nature of awakening. And this inner nature of awakening can be born in the hearts of all of us. That's possible. Whether we're monks, novices, lay people, it's possible for the most supreme Buddha to be born within us. So as we listen to the Dharma now, if we gain an understanding in the Dharma, then this is the Buddha, the state of awakening, arising in us through wisdom. This is bright light coming in our hearts. And this happens a little bit at a time. And what's it like? What happens is that light comes in, and knowing comes in, and both of these two things, this light and this knowing, they gather together, and this gives rise to the, heart, to the path. When the path is born, then our minds will be able to see into the nature of conventions. And then our minds will become free. And this is the destruction of doubt. So it's possible for this inner Buddha, the nature of awakening, to be born in the hearts of all people. Wherever we are, wherever our hearts are, whether we live in Norway, whether it's Sweden, whether it's Australia, whether it's Thailand, if we see the Dhamma, then all of our different hearts will become the one and the same heart. And it's just like the seawater. All of the, the water in the sea, it has just one taste, the taste of salt. So all of us have gathered together from near and far, and we've come here to practice. We've gathered to recollect the goodness of our teacher, Ajahn Chah, and to practice and offer that practice as, as our um, homage to him, a homage within our hearts. The Dharma that Ajahn Chah taught, the senior monks here, they put that into practice, and they are now our leaders. They lead us in the practice. And they lead us to be able to see the truth. And we can do that in this very life. We don't have to wait until the next life. In this life, today, we practice. Tonight, we go without sleep, we endure. And the monks have prepared for this as well, to fight with sleepiness. If we're sleepy, then we can go and do walking meditation. 
Then when we're done with walking meditation, we come back into the hall, sit meditation again. We train ourselves like this. And these are the first steps that we take in the Tudong practices, in the ascetic practices, which are things which refine our minds. As we listen to the Dhamma, gradually delusion, the inner stupidity that we have, not knowing things, that gets dispelled. And our knowing develops in stages. As we listen, we remember what's been said and then we put that into practice. And then one day, we'll have to gain the great inspiration within our hearts. As we listen to the monks, the various monks who give the talks tonight tell us about their practices, about how they went into charnel grounds and the fear that they fought with. You know, we can get a feeling for ourselves as to how scary that must have been. And then we can try it out for ourselves. Great fear comes up and also a lot of proliferation comes up in the mind. But what this leads to is understanding. And we can understand for ourselves what it is that the great teachers had to go through to be able to teach us that they had to meet with tigers, they had to meet with ghosts. And how would that have been? How scary would that have been? The great teachers used life and death to get the Dharma, and that's not easy. So therefore all of us be very determined. And this determination will allow the inner nature of awakening to arise in our hearts. So walking this path of sila, samadhi, panya, we put forth effort into the practice. And we determine that this life is offered to following this path. From the first steps on the path, we keep on walking. And when we do this, then one day, there'll be no need to walk anymore. We'll have reached the end of the path. We'll have seen the Dharma within our own hearts. We'll have touched the Dharma for ourselves. And this is the most important thing. And when we do this, we'll be able to meet with true joy, true happiness in our hearts. So as we hear the Dharma, and we become devoted to the Dharma, then we need to devote ourselves to this practice too. This Dharma that Ajahn Chah had great compassion and kindness to teach to all of us, that arose from the great difficulties that he went through. So we train ourselves in keeping our mindfulness and, and samadhi to developing sampajanya, all-round knowing, and wisdom. And as we do this, then we'll understand conventions. And when we understand convention, we'll be able to be liberated from all suffering. <laughs>